and I show up in Milwaukee, and the first thing I did was I bought a, a golden cross, and I thought, well, you know, America's a Christian nation, so I've got to sort of fit in, and I'm a, just sort of this misfit Jewish kid, and so I'm running around the Jewish cross, and my, my in-laws are just in horror, you know, because just to this day they're still in horror over seeing me f- flinging this golden cross around. But that was my I, – I could have got a tattoo, but I thought, well, that's too permanent. I'll just get a cross instead. <laughs> Welcome to Grace and 30 on WERALP, Arlington 96.7 FM. This is Ed Mellick, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sal Dietry. Sal, you excited about the program tonight? Well, Ed, tonight's guest, Eric Teitelman, grew up in a Jewish family in the 60s and 70s. His parents were hippies who moved to places like Berkeley, California, and took part in communes and nudist colonies. And he watched his parents struggle through issues, tough issues like mental illness and abandonment, Through all this craziness, though, Eric had a vision of God as a loving father and knowledge that determined he would have a different kind of life than his parents. Well, 30 years later, Eric's he's happily married. He's the engineering chief in the Fairfax County Department of Transportation. He also volunteers his time at various ministries. He's an ordained minister uh, and is actively involved in the House of David ministry and One Heart, D.C., He joins us to talk about his experiences, how he was able to come to his faith, his ministry, and the House of David ministry, and One Heart D.C.'s upcoming Washington Prayer Gathering on the National Mall, Saturday, September 22nd. Eric, welcome to Grace in 30. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, you you certainly had, uh, let's say, an unusual and at times painful childhood. Tell us about the time you realized you know, that, that you were looking for a different path. Sure. I was, well, my parents had moved from Berkeley to Israel in 1972. My mother had already suffered uh, from mental illness before I was born and then and then afterwards. And we were in Israel, and she had another mental breakdown. Part of that was because of my father's abandonment of the family. He had sort of left us and gone back to California and wasn't sending any financial support, so she was panicking. And my sister and I were put in foster care in Israel, and my father had to come. Eventually he came back to get my mother out of the hospital and get my me and my sister out of this, this foster home that we were in temporarily. And they went back to California and ended up working through a divorce and it was probably shortly after that time and I'm thinking I was about seven years old maybe eight years old and I and I just sort of looked at my life and I realized that this is insanity that you know, the things that I was experiencing were not normal I didn't see these these things going on in other families that I you know friends that I had and I was determined to grow up and to get married to become a father and to have just a normal life with with raising children and and raising a family. So you mentioned when we talked on the phone that um, despite the fact that you grew up in a Jewish family, you had some sense of, of Jesus and that he was a special person in your life, and despite not knowing anything about him. And so what did you mean by that when you mentioned that? Yeah, that is interesting because my, my parents are both Jewish, and so Jesus was clearly not a central part of our life. But my mother, living in Berkeley, had gotten herself mixed up in all kinds of New Age prophets, and somehow in the mix, Jesus became one of these New Age prophets that was talked about. And I remember hearing about this person, Jesus, and I was 
intrigued and, and almost drawn to him, although I didn't really know anything about him or who he was. And I knew that my Christian friends went to church on Sunday and they talked a lot about Jesus, but I didn't know anything about that. The, the other piece I think that's interesting is, as Jewish people, we believe in a Messiah. We don't have a clue what that actually means, but we believe in some, some mystical figure that's going to come and save us. And I, I couldn't really make the connection, but I thought maybe this Jesus person is is a special person, and I was drawn to him, even though I really didn't have any sense about who he was. So when did he, Jesus, start emerging from that pack of, <laughs> of, of people you were hearing about? Well, after uh, my parents got divorced in 1970. Five and we went back to Israel under cloak of darkness. I was my sister and I were rather sort of hijacked against a court order and put on a plane in the middle of the night and and we end up in New York uh, at LaGuardia Airport I think it was and uh, flying to some place. She wouldn't tell us where we were going. It was all you know t- secretive. And we we land in Israel and and my mother doesn't have any family there, so she has one friend that she had met in Berkeley, uh, I mean, sorry, in, in Chicago years earlier, and invited us to come stay with them for a short while. And this lady happened to be a Messianic Jewish woman and says to my mother, well, you ought to go visit this Messianic congregation in Jerusalem. And so somewhere around September of 1977, we visit this Messianic congregation. I meet a Messianic rabbi there, and we stayed at, at their house. And at that time, I'm beginning to become much more intrigued with this person called, you know, that the Christians called Jesus, and and uh, of course my mother was just adamantly against all this, and she ended up stopping to go there. But I sort of had this this sudden interest, this this now this increased infatuation with with this person called Jesus, but I still had no idea who he was. How, how old were you at the time? I was nine. As you moved along, at some point you sort of broke free from the family, and, and and tell us about how you started to establish your own life. Yeah, I was quite a rebel. I, I went to an Orthodox uh, school in Israel for a couple of years, uh, t- two years in Orthodox school, and then a yeshiva, which is a rabbinical school, for two more years. My mother signed me up. She became an Orthodox Jewish woman. and. I was a com- completely rebellious teenager, of course, not having a father. I hadn't seen my father in, in years now. He didn't know where he was for quite some time as it was, and we had no money, so we were living on government subsidies, and, and I just essentially became this yeshiva dropout, so to speak, and and uh, it was it, sort of during that time that, and my mother had eventually remarried within a year or so, and it was during that time I said, you know what, I've had enough of this. I want to go back to my original plan of going back to the United States and so I can you know go to college and and get married and and raise a family and that that was part of my rebellious phase and and I show up in Milwaukee with my mother's sister and I go out and the first thing I did was I bought a, a golden cross and I thought, well, you know, America's a Christian nation, so I've got to sort of fit in, and I'm a, just sort of this misfit Jewish kid, and so I'm running around the Jewish cross, and my, my in-laws are just in horror, you know, because just to this day they're still in horror over seeing me f- flinging this golden cross around. But that was my I, – I could have got a tattoo, but I thought, well, that's too permanent. I'll just get a cross instead. So you started to realize – we had a, a, a discussion on the phone about – uh, your name, your higher purpose, that you sort of started to realize what you were supposed to do in life and, and honor that. Tell us about that, how you came to that point and, and how it led to some of these things that you're doing in, in your spare time. Well, that's a good question. I always thought names were just sort of random. And, I, you know, my father was, 
he wanted to be on the cutting edge of socialism slash whatever communism form was going on. And Sweden was really at the top of the agenda back in the 1960s. He bought a red Volvo that was young, uh, you know, fell apart. But he was going to move us to Sweden. I would have been born in Sweden if he hadn't got my mother pregnant before that. But uh, he, he was into Vikings, and so he names me Eric. And, I, you know, of course, later on I find out that Eric is this fearless leader that will go into unchartered territories, that places that no other man will dare to go and I thought well that kind of fits my personality because I'm sort of wait, you know wading into this Christian world as a Jewish kid an Orthodox Jewish boy and I'm like well you know if I wasn't fearless I probably would have never stepped into a church you're involved in a couple of ministries I think the core thing that you do is something called House of David yes and you're also involved with this group one heart DC T- tell us about those well House of David ministry is really did it wasn't my plan I after I came to the the Lord and by reading the New Testament I um, thought well this is this is great this is what I was looking for Jesus is the Messiah and I had that revelation I thought well life is good I'm married I've got my two kids I'm happy and the Lord said no I've got some projects for you to work on and so within a few years I and I started getting invitations to teach and everybody wanted to hear about my Jewish background and why how I came to the Lord, and you know, they want to understand, you know, what does what does Passover mean for us, and so on, and and then eventually I get this invitation to start a college ministry, and the Jewish Messianic rabbi, well, he was a Jewish Messianic Baptist rabbi, that's a mouthful, wow. who was Pentecostal charismatic on top of that, but uh, he he wanted to reach out to Jewish students, and so I kept hearing in my head House of David Ministries. I thought, well, that'll attract kids, and then Jewish kids, and then we had a little house, that bungalow house, that was donated. So that's how the whole thing started. And then about two years later, the Lord moved me and our family out to uh, to Virginia. We're here in the D.C. area, and I didn't know what to do with the ministry, and so I started. Uh, to, well, I left the the website alone, and then after about a year or so, I started getting invitations to teach. And so it sort of moved from a college ministry to a teaching ministry. So I have to ask, are you, are you noticing an, a growing interest among the Christian community to understand about the sort of the Old Testament Hebrew holidays, holy days, and to honor them, to, to observe them, and learn about what their meaning is? A- absolutely. Absolutely. I have noticed that. And, uh, you know, when I f- about 2002, when I first got saved, I – I felt like this misfit. I was this, you know, like I said, this Jewish now believing person, and I really decided, well, I'll just continue to fit into church and kind of ignore my Jewish heritage. But the Lord really wouldn't let that go. He said, no, I want you to explore your Jewish heritage. I want you to really embrace the beauty of your own culture and your own people. And at first, I, you know, I would go into a church. We would move somewhere, and I would say, oh, hey, I'm a Jewish believer, and they're like, oh, that's nice. Go, why don't you find a pew to sit down in? But then after a while. <laughs> I, you know, I would get this, wow, really, <clears throat> tell me, what was it like growing up in Israel? And I'd really like to know more about the Passover. Can you tell us about the Passover? And I'm like, um, sure, I can I can share that with you, absolutely. And so it's been growing, and I find every year more and more people are showing that interest. And were you observing those days when you were growing up? Uh, oh, absolutely, in Israel, yeah, we were, we were Orthodox, and so we were very, very religious about um, – I mean, everything from going around looking for breadcrumbs under the oven and all the prayers. Yeah, very religious. And when people approach you, what are some things that you're uh, 
they ask you to come speak or to sh- simply share fellowship. What are some of the the services and activities of the House of David ministry? Well, I do I do two things. I teach obviously, and I also lead worship. And when I when I lead worship, I like to sing Hebrew songs so that people can hear the language and get a sense for what maybe what King David sounded like when he was singing Hebrew psalms in you know in Jerusalem. So the the my goal is to connect with people and then help them get connected with other Jewish people and to to gain an understanding about Israel, the importance of Israel in biblical prophecy, the importance of Israel in the kingdom of God and in God's plans for restoration, for the restoration of Israel. So so the teaching is obviously to to bring people an understanding about, uh, you know, the Old Testament and how it connects and, the, it, you know, we see a fulfillment in the New Testament. So I want people to get that, that general understanding, but more importantly, I want to connect with people and build relationships and friendships with them. And what are a lot of the questions that people have for you when you're discussing the Old Testament? Are there certain themes that come out that people are generally interested in or or you find add a lot of the depth to what you're, you're teaching? Yeah, there are some common themes. A lot of times, well, sometimes the, co- the questions are, tell us about Israel. We just want to understand what it's like. We're planning a trip to Israel. Tell us what, what it was like living there. We want to understand how we can connect with Jewish people. A very common question is people ask me, well, how do we, how do we evangelize Jewish people? And uh, and I and I have to explain to them. Well, these are how Jewish people generally think, and there are different kinds of Jewish people. You know, there are <clears throat> excuse me, Orthodox Jews, there are secular Jews, and so on. So so that's one level. The other is well, we want to go deeper in our understanding of the the holidays, the Jewish holidays, and how do they relate to us as Christians? And and sometimes people ask, are we required to celebrate these? And I say, well, no, you're not required, <clears throat> because we know the law was fulfilled through Christ, but we have these incredible, beautiful things that God created for and gave to the, to the nation of Israel that are now for the church to, to enjoy and to celebrate in the things that God has given us. And so they'll invite me to come and do a demonstration of the Passover, so they get a sense for what it was like maybe at the Last Supper with Jesus. Tell us about One Heart DC, its origins, uh, the the mission behind it, uh, some big things happening in the area. Tell us a bit about about One Heart DC. Okay, sure. I'd love to. So One Heart DC was really something that came out of McLean Bible Church, and uh, Pastor Lon Solomon was really about about 2013-14 was going through a time period where he was repenting, I think, for finding himself disconnected from other churches in the region, and there was a lack of unity. And I think he understood, and the Lord really spoke to him and said, we're not going to reach this region with the gospel unless the churches come together in in a spirit, true spirit of, of unity, biblical unity. And so he began to reach out to some of the, the pastors in the area, and then uh, McLean Bible Church essentially launched the first Washington prayer gathering in Uh, It was on Columbus Day of 2014, and about 5,000 people came. The following year, they did it again. They had about eight or 9,000 people that came, and then they they did it again. It was indoors at uh, First Baptist Church Glen Arden. We had about 3,000 or so people that came. And during that time, uh, it was felt that that One Heart DC needed to be not owned or controlled by one church if it was truly going to be uh, an organization that would help unify the ministries and churches in this region it had to be its own independent ministry. And so they formed a 501c3, and today the, the Washington Prayer Gathering now essentially is under the essentially the oversight of, of One Heart DC. And we have, of course, on September 22nd, we have for 2018 our Washington Prayer Gathering coming up 10.30 a.m. And what is the central theme? I mean, what what is are you all trying to bring all of these different 
uh, churches together. Would it talk about some of the themes and some perhaps some of the pillars that mm-hmm. underlie One Heart DC? Right. So we there are three pillars. First, first of all, we're I would call us as an organization. We're not trying to control or oversee churches. We're trying to build an opportunity for people to connect and get connected and and to network together and to partner together. So there are three pillars, prayer, unity, and hope. Of course, the foundation of anything is is prayer. Uh, The unity, of course, is us coming together and pastors and and other leaders and other Christians coming out of their their wall, so to speak, and, and connecting with other ministries and partnering with other ministries. And then, of course, the hope is the gospel. And so the, the, the ultimate goal here is that if we come together in unified prayer, then the region will begin to work together to share the gospel. And our, and our ultimate goal is what we call full gospel saturation, and maybe, our, maybe a goal of 80% of targeting the 5 million-plus people in, in this D.C. area. But it, we would need at least 500,000 people to reach 5 million people. And we don't have that many laborers today. And so so we are praying that and through this unified effort that God would raise up hundreds of thousands of leaders. And that's in marketplace, that's pastors and churches, that's lay ministry people. I mean, really every it's schools, it's it's every place that people are walking that God has has planted them and the sphere of people that God has appointed them, that we are all supposed to be walking evangelists for the Lord. And there's about 700 churches in the area that are loosely affiliated or um, trying to work with One Heart DC. Is that correct? We right. We have about right now 700 ministries and churches that have essentially signed the One Heart pledge. And of course, not all of them are fully engaged or working, but they have pledged to support the the mission of One Heart DC. Yeah, we've signed. So we we definitely support you guys. You know, it's funny. There's all these different congregations. And, and faith types out there and, and people see that primarily as a bad thing and there's a lot there's good involved in that but I, I keep thinking about what Jesus said in uh, John 17 23 he said you know may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that, that blows my mind you would think that a, a believer reading that would say gosh let's break down these barriers that separate different different beliefs different congregations and come together and work together to serve is is that sort of a core tenet of what you guys are doing Right. We're not trying to get rid of denominations. We're not trying to get rid of churches. We we understand that there are cl- clearly there are practical needs for people to have infrastructure, a building that supports the ministries. We just want people to realize that it, it's not about our denominations. It's about Jesus, and it's about us serving him, and that means that we, we need to realize that, that whether it's the, the Baptist church down the street or the Methodist church on the other side of the street, we're all – really serving the same God, we are of the same spirit, and, and the mission is the same, no matter what color or denomination we, you know, what color skin we have or what, what denomination we fit under, or what, what structural authority we come under, we are all serving the same God, and we have the same mission, the Great Commission, which is to make disciples and to share the good news of the gospel. So give us the details on the event. I mean, I, you're meeting at David's Tent. Where, where exactly is that? Yeah, David's Tent is right now located right about in the center of the National Mall, right uh, on 3rd Street, 3rd uh, Avenue, I think. And it's very close to the National Gallery of Art. They're on the... Um, the, the, they're on a kind of a gravel area. You can, it's really hard to miss. Uh, and there are GPS coordinates on the website if you actually want to download them from the David's Tent DC website. But it's, it's in that general area right there on the mall, middle of the mall by the National Gallery of Art. And what time are people meeting? 
Well, it's it's ten thirty to twelve thirty, and uh, we're hoping that people will start congregating a little earlier. And because we're going to start the program, the prayer it's a prayer focused program. We will have different prayer leaders, and uh, we will start that at ten a.m. And who's invited? Everybody's invited. The whole I mean, a, a, anybody that wants to come and join us and just have that unified expression of the body of Christ in prayer on the National Mall. Anybody is welcome to come and join us. What are some of the challenges that you see in getting people to get active in something like this? Why why would somebody hear about this and then not come? Well, people are busy. I mean, we we all work around here and deal with traffic, uh, you know, five, actually seven days a week, if you really count that there's weekend traffic. Uh, people have families. Uh, people have, you know, think errands that they're running on the weekends and sports and other activities. So it's very hard to get. And, and we're talking about a geographic area that is spread out. So we're asking people to come into D.C. on a Saturday in the morning at 10 so you've got to leave your house by you know eight thirty or nine thirty, depending on where you live, and you've got to park, and and, and Saturday you got to pay for parking. So there are all these things that people are like, ah, oh, I just can't deal with that. So uh, and and sometimes we we also have people say, well, that's not my thing. You know, my church isn't, you know, we don't do that that thing. We we just do our thing. And and I've run into that actually. I've talked to some folks, and they say, well, you know, we just we just stick with activities in our own church, and so they've got to sort of learn they can step out, they can still be in their church, and they can still serve, but they can still participate in other things going on in the region. That's right, being a a confident Christian that you can, you know, appreciate other people's faith and come together in a prayer. I think that's a a term that I'd like to start using more of. Uh, You know, this is amazing because we talk about how desperate we are for, and I think everyone in the country feels it, no matter what you believe, whether it's politics or any issue, that there's there's a need for things like this. And here you all are providing this opportunity for people to come down. People at, at some, we all believe something from, you know, zero to a hundred and, and all are welcome and all are welcome to, to pray and join in in their own way. And, and whether that be a silent prayer or, or the most vocal prayer. So I love what you all are doing. Um, you know, we ask guests to give a call to action or two, uh, something they want to share to listeners. Is there, is there something you'd like to share about uh, either David's tent, one heart, or or you know your mission as in the Jewish Christian connection. Sure, actually, I would say all three. First of all, David's tent. Uh, you know, Jason Hershey has uh, started that ministry now in the area about five or six years ago, and it's an amazing ministry focused on worshiping Jesus twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. And he, you know, their their people are there at two o'clock in the morning worshiping Jesus. If any time you just feel like you need to go and have a place to just be in the presence of the Lord and pray, you can just go there anytime and show up, and people will pray with you and pray for you, and you can just soak in, in the presence of his worship. Um, my ministry, House of David Ministries, not to be confused with David's tent, but we both love the, you know, the history of King David. My ministry, of course, continues to focus on teaching and, and really helping the church understand both Israel, the Jewish people, and, and our place in the kingdom of God. And we're not trying to make the church Jewish. I'm not. I'm just trying to help the church understand it's both its spiritual foundation and heritage, but also how the church is called to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and to pray for the salvation of the Jewish people and to to really bring them the good news of the gospel, because Paul obviously told us to go to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And then one heart, you see, is really, I think, an expansion of the the heart that I have for unity of the body of Christ, and that's really a central part of my ministry as well. But one heart is all about giving 
people and ministries in our region a platform and opportunity to come together and display that kind of unified presence of the body of Christ, because when the world sees us unified, I believe they will see something different in us that the world does not offer, as Jesus himself said, that they'll know that you're my disciples by the love that you have demonstrated for one another. Is there anything you'd like to, any misconception you'd like to dispel about the the relationship between Jewish and Christians? Well, I think that one of the things that sometimes I get confronted with is you're trying to make us Jewish, and I try to tell people that's absolutely not true. For one, uh, it diminishes the value of the Jewish people as as one of the members of the body of Christ, and we are part of the body of Christ. We are part of the greater, the ecclesia, the kingdom of God, but it's not about the church becoming Jewish. On the other hand, you know, for the church to miss some of the appointed feasts and seasons that point to the second coming of Christ and to not understand the kingdom of God and the bigger picture that God has, it's more than just Israel. It's about the whole earth. It's about all of the nations of the earth coming together as one people of God with Israel being the central nation, meaning that that's where the headquarters are going to be. Jerusalem is the headquarters of the kingdom of Christ. And so so that's that's often misconstrued, and my teachings often are to clarify that position. That's wonderful. Look, thank you so much for joining us, Eric, uh, and for the work that One Heart DC is doing to tear down barriers between uh, DC metro area churches. If listeners want to find out more about One Heart DC, please visit their website at oneheartdc.org. A replay of this program, along with select interview highlights, will be posted on the gracein30.com website in the next day or two. The full interview will be available on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Twitter, Facebook, and whatever Ed can come up with, as well as the WERA.FM website. Ed, talk us out of this one. This is Ed and Sal, signing off from Grace and 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night, and be sure to tune into Grace.